0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
2: Hello everybody and welcome back to New Books in Russian and Eurasian Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Eva Glishich, the host of the channel. Today we'll be talking to Elise Herowa about her new book, Art of Transition, the field of art in post-Soviet Russia, which was published by Rutledge in 2022. Now, Elise is a visiting professor or or visiting assistant professor of sociology at um, Haverford College. Um, She's a sociologist of art and culture, and her research examines the dynamic of cultural production, um, and in particular, the ways in which culture functions to reproduce um, inequality. We're really excited to talk about um, Elise's book today. So, Elise, welcome to the show
3: thank you so much for having me i'm really really pleased to be here Uh,
2: now i wonder if you could begin by telling us just a little bit about yourself
3: sure um i am as you mentioned a sociologist um and i did my phd at um, the university of california at berkeley and um i started off in grad school knowing that i wanted to study russia to study the former soviet union after i had gone to saint petersburg in 2002 and was absolutely fascinated. Um, so I started learning Russian. My Russian never got that got that good, but um, I tried hard. Um, started learning Russian and was really focused on, on thinking about. It was really it, it most interested in the the sort of what happens in the transition from socialism to capitalism, as so many you know scholars of the region were at that time. Right, two thousand, you know, the mid two thousands, early two thousands. And um, I was sort of more focused on sort of more political economy, the economic sociology aspect of it. And it wasn't until later that I came to looking at it through a cultural lens. Um, and how I came to this book or to studying art was really through um, originally wanting to look at um, uh, the cultural basis of class formation. And so I was interested in how a society that was ostensibly classless obviously there were hierarchies within the soviet union um but ostensibly classless how did they understand and form themselves as classes um when they suddenly when there was suddenly capitalism um and so i was looking at this trying to look at collectors and consumption conspicuous consumption and then eventually led me to art but um so yeah that's that was a little bit about my how i came to came to the project
2: yeah wonderful um in in your book you investigate this kind of post-socialist start in Russia and you trace its evolution in relation to both the socialist past and the, the global present and i just want to note for our listeners that your research kind of starts with the the end of the soviet union and uh, goes until 20, 2014 um so this is the kind of period that we'll be talking uh, about today and obviously things have changed radically especially in the last Year or so, so um, just to keep that yeah fr- framework framework in mind. Um, can I just ask quickly: Were you an art lover before you moved into
3: this this uh, topic? <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, I was interested in art certainly, um, and oddly enough, I never really considered it as as a subject of of inquiry for sociology. I mean, sociology of art is kind of a, a smaller subfield that doesn't you know isn't terribly popular and so and in the book too it was a bit of a struggle to reconcile sort of an impulse to be an art historian and to or to sort of analyze the pieces on their own as opposed to looking at it sociologically and so sometimes I'd have to step back and check myself so no I mean I liked art but it, it didn't it didn't strike me as as something to look at sociologically until my my dissertation chair was like hey what about art and I was like Right. That makes a lot of sense. And art had been, um, Russian art collectors had really been in the news a lot when I started this project, like 2011. You know, they had made big, made these big purchases, contemporary collectors, but also sort of buying back their national art as the narrative like to go in the West. Um, And so they had been in the news a lot. and And so it seemed like suddenly it was, I could take this interest and then bring it together with with sociology,
2: yeah, wonderful. I mean, you define your book as a sociological study of contemporary art uh, in Russia, and and your work does move between kind of sociology, art history, cultural history, um, anthropological field study as well. Um, so maybe you can try to explain for our listeners what is sociology of art, and I guess what are the sources that you use for your for your study and for this book.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I'll start with the sources. So, and you had said the study starts, you know, at the end of the Soviet Union, and it certainly does. But the the field work that I did was from 2012 to 2014. Um, I'd spent a year from 2012 to 2013 and then went back in 2014 for another stint. Um, And the primary data is um, in depth interviews um, with everyone from Collectors, artists, um, cr- critics, journalists, mu- museum people, auction house people, sort of anyone who is involved. I talked to some art lawyers, uh, <laughs> anyone who is involved in any way. Um, with the art world who would talk to me, basically. i talked to everyone. Um, and I also did some participant observation. I hung out in galleries. I hung out with artists. I tried to be in spaces where art events were happening throughout. And this was all in Moscow, I should say, um, throughout Moscow at this time. So, um, you know, gallery openings or art fairs. Um, and so that was the primary data. And then I did do some historicals or, you know, situating it within a historical context based on what the interviews interviewees talked about, you know, with, from the 1990s, for example, and the early 2000s. Um, so that was, that's what the the study is based on. Now, what makes it sociology? Well, partially of the method. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, sort of looking at it, sociologists are interested in, you know, the social production of the artist of the art. So not just... The artist who made the piece, but how did it come that the artist could even make the piece? Right. So, what are all these different factors that allow for artistic production? What are the social and historical circumstances um, that creates the quote unquote field of art? Um, and so that you know, taking into account all the the different people that I I you know interviewed, like gallerists, like. Um, the artists themselves, you know, different institutional players, market side, uh, consumers like the collectors. Um, and how do these all fit together? You know, because there's struggle often in who gets to define what is art, right? Because art, there's no intrinsic value in a piece of art. There's nothing inherent in a piece of art that makes one piece of art better than the other. I mean, maybe people are going to argue with me about that, but you know, this has been constructed socially of how we understand beauty, how we understand what a piece of art is at a, at a given time, right? The, You know, how people from one period of time understand what art is is different than, you know, 200 years later, what they understand to be art, right? So trying to understand who who has the claims to make that legitimate or the legitimate definition of what art is at that time and what is good art and what should be, you know sold as art right what should be in museums what should be consecrated and so in that sense it becomes a story in part of power right of who gets the power to to define cultural production in this way um and so in russia in particular it's interesting because you know in any in any society you go you see it struggles within the field of art these different institutional players these different actors struggling for the sort of power and who defines what legitimate art is and in russia sort of being you know outside of the western core of the art world and uh, you know on the periphery struggling not only within the society itself or the field of art itself in russia but also in the international art world for legitimacy right um and that was one of the, the um, most common things I heard was frustration over trying to have legitimacy in post Soviet art within the international um, scene within the, uh, the international art world trying to get any kind of respect or um, attention to say like this is legitimate art that deserves to be you know appreciated and understood
2: yeah no absolutely I think your book shows um... Two, I guess, movements at the same time: the the struggle to position oneself against that Soviet um, heritage, but also, you know, to define what Russia is in in twenty first century and, and what the role of artists is there. Uh, you also reflect quite a bit on Pierre Bourdieu's theory and the question of autonomy uh, of an art field. Can you share a little bit with our audience, you know, how you use that term and what is autonomy in art really
3: yeah um, so Bourguia, you know he's he's saying that after, you know in the in France that they developed this autonomous art world meaning they're no longer the art world is no longer controlled by um, the church right so there's no longer this uh, patronage from the church that sort of dictates what kind of art can be created um, and then you have this art for art's sake right where there's there's no sort of external field or external forces that are that are shaping what art is so you know you don't have overwhelming um uh pressure from the political field or overwhelming pressure from the economic field that are are shaping what art is or or saying what it is so this development of an autonomous field of art in Russia, some might say, "Well, this only could have happened at the end of the Soviet Union, right? Because you know there was it was repressive during the Soviet Union. There they could only make art in the style of socialist realism, um, and so it wasn't autonomous." I, I think that is a little bit too black and white. It wasn't. It, it it it's there was all kinds of cultural production that happened in the Soviet Union that had that was you know outside of sort of that official mandate but also you could make the argument that because they were free from market pressures in the Soviet Union that they weren't trying to make things for the market they were making art for art's sake which is exactly what autonomous art is and there's been other scholars who've written about that which I think is really compelling um to think about you know to sort of reframe that idea of you know bourdieu is talking about this autonomous art of like what actually makes us free to to make the the kind of art that you know moves that's coming from uh, only from us without these external exogenous forces shaping the art. And I just don't think that it really exists. But <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to push back a little bit on that notion, but also to say, you know, how how can we understand autonomy in places where maybe it doesn't look the same as in the West?
2: Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. So that question of autonomy and, and art is, is uh, as you say, not straightforward. And it, it exists both in the Soviet Union and in contemporary Russia, though not in the ways that perhaps are, are expected or generally yeah co- commonly commonly understood as uh, we'll come kind of we'll be coming back to that question i think throughout our conversation because i, I think that's quite a an important point to 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 complicate that that notion um of you know, art for art's sake, you know, whatever that is. But uh, um, l- l- let's go, let's start at the beginning, I guess. And um, Art of Transition opens with an investigation of two generations of Russian Russian artists that, that you focus on. So the last Soviet generation, uh, that's the generation that was born between 1951 and 1970. And then the first post-socialist generation. So um, uh, artists who were born from 1971 to 1990. And they're quite quite different in many respects but maybe you can tell us a bit what distinguishes artists from each of these two two generations in how do they come through in your research that's a good
3: question and i i will say that you know i hadn't intended to talk about two different generations and i i think sometimes it feels a bit forced because i mean anyone who's part of a generation or defined as such you know it's That twenty years, like, there's a big difference between people born in nineteen, you know, seventy one and nineteen ninety, obviously. And so, I was a little hesitant to use it. But the reason I ended up talking about it in that way was because I kept seeing or kept hearing the same themes come up again and again and again. And in particular, what was striking was this: what you know, last Soviet generation. You know, I'll start with the first post-Soviet generation, and what really struck me was. I hesitate to say distancing from Russianness but it was more an embrace of internationalness so this idea that they didn't have they didn't want to hold on to this idea that they were a Russian artist they didn't want that adjective they didn't want that descriptor they wanted to be an artist and they were they felt that they were in conversation with artists everywhere right and I think they really strove to to be part of the international art world, whether it was to travel abroad or to be abroad or to just, you know, be considered an artist in their own right. And I think the frustration they felt with coming against the adjective of Russian and the expectation that they should reflect Russianness. And what was also I think irritating to many of them was that Russian-ness meant Sovietness. And for some of them that meant their childhood. And for the older or the younger ones, that didn't even mean their childhood. I mean, that was like when they were born, right? So for them, it's like Sovietness, it just didn't, it didn't register as something that made, I mean, you could argue that, of course, it made them who they are, because they're growing up in this post-Soviet space, right? But I think the expectation they felt was that they were supposed to reflect these sort of stereotypical Soviet themes, and they didn't feel that way, or they were supposed to be political, and they didn't, feel that way right um and so i kept seeing that and then the older generation they were much more more apt to not always but much more apt to be in conversation with a sort of past or to put the past in soviet past into conversation with the present Um, and this wasn't necessarily always with reflected within their art i would say but it came up in the conversations we had um about their their um their experiences of being an artist because the experience of being an artist in 1993 was very different than 2003 when there was an you know infrastructure was being developed as opposed to them creating the infrastructure. Um, And so, you know, the, the first post-Soviet generation, they didn't have to worry about it as much. They were just, they could sort of have an outward look. And, um, and so I think that was sort of one of the biggest things is that there was a, a, there was really, you know, the, the last Soviet generation, they had been trained as artists during the Soviet period. And then as they sort of came of age and this, the, there was, the system was gone. There was no arts institutions, Whereas the first post-Soviet generation, the younger artists, by the time they started being trained or they came up as artists, there was arts institutions that they could, you know, get training. They could learn about contemporary art. Um, they didn't have to learn how to paint in a style of socialist realism. So they had a lot more freedom, not only artistically, but also in the sense, I shouldn't say freedom artistically, but in the sense that they didn't have to worry about basically institution building.
2: Yeah, right. And um, I guess they have a very different perspective of, of Soviet past, but also, yeah, as you said, how they position themselves within that global global market. It, your book also is very focused on institutions and sort of how these fields are, are, are created that supported um, art making in, in Russia in this period. Um, and you know that you know, with the collapse of the Soviet Union and the introduction of market economy, Obviously, that, that had a profound impact on all aspects of of, of life, but also includes the field of, of art, and it's kind of gradual process of commercialization, right? We're living that uh, uh, moment where you know the Soviet institutions supported art, or if you were outside those institutions, you had your own world in which art creation functioned in certain ways, um, in those private apartments, and other kind of informal informal networks. Um, but can you what can you tell us about this emergence of the contemporary Russian art market um and and what supported that what was this infrastructure
3: well i mean my understanding of it and from the you know the narratives that i got from what i read was that the market i mean establishing the contemporary art world or um, the market galleries were really instrumental in doing that and in the beginning you know there was a few galleries one or two or three but none of them were really commercial in any way i mean they were sort of trying to function as galleries, but really it was a space to gather, to hang art, to have people come through and see art, but not necessarily with an eye toward profit. But it was really in these types of spaces that you start seeing people, um, you know, coming together around the idea of art, right? Having a space, having that kind of beginning of an institution. And some of these galleries in the beginning I don't know. Maybe a couple of them still exist. Actually, I shouldn't. I shouldn't speak to. Them. I don't know if they still exist today. But when I was doing my research, um, they were some of them or early ones were still around, and they were sort of essential for helping to build this community for creating. You know, sort of from the ground up, and you know, I think. In terms of what I found unusual or interesting about this building of the Russian art world through sort of these market actors, um, well, one was the sort of distance from actual profit in the beginning, Um, but two, that they really felt infused with a sense of responsibility. So it wasn't just... I'm creating this cool gallery. Hopefully people will sell some art or buy, will buy some art, you know, you know, it's sort of a cultural touchstone, but that it was actually like, we need to do this in order to have Russian art survive. And even when I was there, you know, from 2012 to 2014, there was this real sense of, if we don't do this, who's going to support Russian contemporary art, right? Like we don't have a big enough market for it. We aren't selling enough pieces if we're not supporting these are the, the, you know, the state isn't supporting these artists. So if we're not giving them, you know, a space to do this, then how, how will we keep the cultural production? How will we keep this alive? And so they sort of saw themselves as not nationalist. I don't mean that in like a capital N nationalist kind of way, but as a, as a way of saying, we need this for, to keep, contemporary russian art alive you know whether or not people agree with that that's fine but that they themselves felt you know that they had this responsibility for it and i think they were really you know sort of instrumental in helping to build this institution um and community around russian contemporary art
2: so so these these galleries that are supporting really the the um evolution of, of this market um, and in many ways reading your book it sounds to me like a continuation of that underground or non-formal uh non-conformist right uh um a community but now in a sort of a different different perhaps guise. but uh it seems to me that the state is completely absent is that correct from from engagement with contemporary art at this
3: point I mean, it seemed that way to me or from what was at that period. I think there were little pockets or little ways in which people would get funding in some sense, but really it was, there seemed to be an absolute sort of uh, absence of the state helping anyway. And that's not, I don't just mean like the state offering stipends for art, but ways of, of preventing art from happening so for example it was it's um like the galleries it was really expensive to take art in and out of the country right so to in order to go to an art fair it would be really expensive like really expensive for the galleries. so they couldn't afford to do it to bring art in and out of russia um or you know censorship stuff which we can get into a little later when we talk about the state but you know in an environment in which sometimes people felt, you know, that they, they had to watch maybe what they, um, the type of art they were creating and knowing that there wasn't really a big audience necessarily for art at this time. And again, I can't speak for now. I think I would like to talk a little bit about the present and maybe toward the end, but, um, or questions I have for scholars that I hope are doing that research in the future. Um, But that, you know, it just, it seemed that not only were they not supporting it, but they were, you know, in some ways actively sort of hindering art as a, as a contemporary art as well.
2: You mentioned the question of audience, and and this is something that I'm very interested in um, hearing you talk a little bit more about the audience for contemporary art in Russia. I mean, who, who, and and how has this audience changed
3: over the course of of thirty years that you look look at? This was one of the more interesting things that I discovered when I was doing my research was especially in the beginning was that everyone wanted to talk to me about how there was no audience for contemporary art. So they they felt really that they had to support contemporary art. Um, But then they, in the next breath, they would say, but there, there's no audience. No one cares about contemporary art. So I'm like, okay, but you do. So what's, what's happening here? Um, And I mean, I think, you know, what they're referencing or how they, how it was explained to me was that basically you know, because the education for art history stopped, there was a gap, right? So that you know, under the Soviet period, they didn't continue on to the the art movements that happened, you know, sort of after the thirties, and so people just didn't know. They didn't have that visual vocabulary. They didn't have the visual sort of reference to um, the art that was produced during that period in, in the Soviet Union, and so. Um, when they would see contemporary art, it would look bizarre because they didn't sort of have the, the evolution of what had happened in art up until that time. And so it just felt very off-putting and alienating, which, you know, I didn't interview sort of everyday, ordinary, on-the-street Russians. So I can't say if that's actually true, but it's kind of a compelling thesis <laughs> in some sense. But I think, you know, the larger point was that there wasn't really a sort of culture for this type of art at that time. Time And I think that was part of what these galleries saw themselves as doing, for example, or like this outreach to say, like, you know, to support this type of art. This is another form of cultural production that's coming out of Russia that maybe doesn't look exactly like people expect. Um, But that, you know, could be interesting in, in other ways. And so I think the audience was growing perhaps shifting maybe but that they still felt that there at that time that there wasn't enough people who really cared about contemporary art to sort of sustain a market for it anyway
2: and and what is your sense um when it comes to international audience is there um a, a international audience for russian art I- I- in this period
3: no i mean that's, i feel and i that I speaking to people. So I started actually my field work in London before I went to Moscow um, because there's a large Russian population there, there um, and that's where the main auction houses uh, are located where they do the big auctions. Um, and so I went to the Russian sales that uh, Sotheby's and Christie's were having. Um, and it, speaking to people, you know, on the market side there, I don't think any of them were Russian, but I think, you know, when they talked about a market for Russian art, they never talked about contemporary art. They talked about, you know, maybe avant-garde. They talked about, you know, um, non-conformist art from the fifties, 60s, 70s, which is, you know, was sort of gaining some traction in the market or, but that there was no, no one really cared about, Russian contemporary art, and they would call it derivative. I mean, lots of, in one of the chapters, I have a lot of quotes about all the disparaging things that people would say to me about it. Um, which I I always found, I don't know, I mean, not to have, you know, whatever, Not. I'm not an objective observer, I like Russian contemporary art. So I always found it a little strange. Um, and that there was something interesting there, or at the very least, Let's investigate why we think that this art isn't good, right? Um, so I think there just wasn't really any audience at all for Russian contemporary art in particular. Um, and now I feel as though there's even less. But, yeah, so I think that was one of the other main um, complaints that I heard, especially from Russian artists or frust- I shouldn't say complaints, frustrations from the artists, was that they just,
2: You you mentioned London and those um, uh, kind of uh, premier auction houses, Mm -hmm. Um, and when we started conversation, you you talked about you know what attracted your attention was these kind of headlines of the type of art that Russian collectors were buying, and indeed Russian art collectors are a big part of your your study. and the, this question can kind of why rich Russians buy art was uh, quote, uh, a quote and question in in your book so, so tell us then what do they buy um, and tell us a little bit about the motivations for collecting art in in contemporary Russia you know we all have that cliche in our in our mind that comes from you know uh, popular observations and press and so on um, you know that Russians buy art uh, as a way of um, creating status or showing off their wealth uh, but you know your, your book goes in a bit more detail than that so tell us a little bit about that figure of the contemporary Russian art collector
3: yeah I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that was I mean that was one of the things that d- drove me to you know I, I wanted to see these collectors I wanted or try to find them anyway um, see if they talk to me um, but to see you know the, exactly there's this dominant narrative that they're just doing it for for status and like absolutely many of them were as they are in the west as they are anywhere i mean that is just you know people flex when they spend a hundred million dollars on a painting it's just there's no yeah so i think that was definitely there but it was much more complicated. You know, there would be the collector who had been collecting since the early 80s, who now has money, but in the beginning didn't and was really, you know, collecting his friends who were in the underground circle. Right. Um, You know, very personal reasons as you'd find collectors anywhere, like why they were doing it. Um, And I think, you know, some of it was a sense of, of returning to, sort of a cultural glory, that there was this, you know, really important, these really important art collectors um, uh, before the revolution and sort of returning to this tradition of Russian art collecting from that period. Right. And I think of seeing it again, as not a nationalist project, but as a product project of, we need to preserve this art, it's important. Um, and there's, you know, these are stories about like buying back, um, sort of Russian national heritage. And I mean, absolutely. There was some of that too. Um, but this sense of much like the, the galleries of if we don't support these artists, then who will? Um, and, you know, the one particular collector saying, you know, I, I've, never paid more than I don't remember. It was some thousand dollars. Um, and he collected everyone who became famous and then he would sell off pieces so he could buy more pieces just because he, he felt as himself as a patron. Like, um, so I think, you know, it, it, the reasons for collecting I think could map on to most anywhere with this additional, not baggage, but this additional responsibility of, Again, we need to we need to keep this alive. We need to make sure that cultural production persists in a place that's not otherwise supported.
2: Were Russian art collectors um, open with you or keen to talk to you about what challenge. they have and what they buy?
3: Yeah. Um, what they have and what they buy. Yes, they were open. I mean, some of them would say don't tell anybody that I have this many pieces, Um, you know, and all of them, they're all anonymous, except for the figures who are very public. Um, Otherwise, they're anonymous. Um, And I think one of the hardest things was often, I mean, not to play into stereotypes, but oftentimes it was difficult to find out how people financed, like where... How they made their money, basically. Um, So I try to get their background, and sometimes those details would be a little blurry. Um, But you know, asking anyone about money perhaps is is uh, is can always be a little uncomfortable. So I mean, I would try to do it, you know. But I think it, it they would generally be very excited and very open with what they had and wanting to talk about it. And you know, many of them had done a lot of research they had had books made of their collections they you know the the more wealthy ones were either you know loaning them out or wanting to start private museums or you know these kinds of galleries um and so i think there was sort of a a scholarly aspect to their collections um and a seriousness that wasn't just you know i need the next I need the next whatever is you know trendy right now and there's certainly those collectors and I don't you know I I maybe didn't maybe my my sample skewed away from those but I feel like the people I spoke with were not necessarily that kind of stereotypical uh, collector (laughs)
2: And so the art that they buy in in your experience and in the sample that you looked at, um, that's um, the avant-garde Russian art from the 1920s, 30s, um, some religious art, if 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 I'm not mistaken. And is it also contemporary
3: art? Yeah, the religious art. And most of them... Had maybe started that way and then became contemporary collectors, um, and then there were a couple who had started in the the underground um, sort of nonconformist art, um, in part because those that were those, those were their peers. Um, but I think almost all of them transitioned into or, or expanded into collecting also contemporary contemporary pieces as well.
2: Do, do they also buy other artists, uh, foreign artists?
3: like yeah that's that's a good question we never spoke about that right i think right. there was one who talked about collecting french art okay <laughs> but it, or maybe it was wine but really we didn't <laughs> speak about we didn't speak about basically non non-russian
2: right.
3: non-russian works yeah it just wasn't yeah. it, it wasn't of interest i guess to either of us
2: <laughs> yeah fantastic um i'm just uh, curious because yeah you you in your book you show really interesting trajectory in terms of collecting art from, you know, pre-revolutionary, famous pre-revolutionary art collectors. Mm-hmm. Um, also the loss of those collections and, and, you know, uh, and uh, where contemporary Russian art collectors kind of position themselves, both in trying to continue that, that tradition, but also being slightly careful when it comes to disclosing um, the, the nature of their collections and, and a little bit wary of the state,
3: I guess, in, in, in that engagement as well yeah absolutely right, and that it's you know that's what the the one who said, You know, don't tell anybody how many pieces I have'm like, well, who am I but <laughs> I mean yeah I don't and sometimes it wasn't clear to me who would be concerned with how many pieces they had, and some of the collectors that I spoke with in here who were very public i mean were very public with their disagreements with the state publicly in Russia, so in the book you know i I detail their sort of feuds that they had Um, but yeah they were a little more you know they were obviously pretty open about those
2: right (laughs) Uh, now russian political art is something that kind of attracts visibility and that's something that we talk about and and see it more readily um abroad but in russia as well Um, how do russian artists regard political art and what is the paradox of political art that you talk about in, in your book
3: yeah. The, the, you know, the thing about political art, which I feel like is definitely a, a Russian political art is a, is a separate, a whole separate book from this one. And it, it definitely came up and it was, it was a tricky thing for artists because there was this expect, so yeah, there's definitely an interest in Russian political art going back to the sort of Soviet nonconformist conformist art. Um, but then this, 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 expectation that Russian artists should have political art, but that they don't necessarily, like most of them aren't that political or it doesn't come out within the art themselves of being political. And so for some artists, they were a bit perplexed about why there wasn't more Russian political art, whether or not it was because, you know, the state or most people felt, or especially the younger ones felt that, that the artists just weren't that interested in making political art, period. Um, but that there was, you know, this expectation that they should, or this interest that they should, or this, but that they, they didn't. And that if they didn't, they wouldn't get sort of the the attention that the other artists would. Um, and so I think some of them felt a little bit backed into a corner when it came to making political art or not. Um, and that, you know, it was definitely a risk, um, but that, you know, they wanted to sort of make that decision themselves. And they felt as though, you know, that wasn't necessarily always available to them.
2: Yeah, it's, it's interesting, you know, uh, for example, the work of Pussy Riot, uh, Vojna, uh, Pyotr Pavlensky, uh, those, those artists that are, you know, well known both in Russia and overseas. And it seems like if it's Russian art, then it has to be political art in, in, in one way or another. Uh, but then to pursue political art, um, you expose yourself to extreme risk um, in, in Russia. And indeed, a number of these artists had to had to leave the country um, and continue to leave the country. Um, and, and I think it's a very interesting question that comes through your book. First of all, how do you uh, work as an artist in Russia that I, and without that label Russian, but can you be just an artist? And also, can you be an artist in Russia and not be a political artist are some of these yeah, complexities that open up um, in, in your study. Um, tell us a little bit about the place of, of Russian art within global art market and, and uh, again emphasizing that this is that your work kind of um, ends with ni- 20, 2014 and obviously the, the situation is going to be quite different at the moment, but um, what were some of your observation of where Russian art, how it, how it uh, featured within this kind of global thinking on, on contemporary art?
3: Sure. Yeah, and that is, of course, a big caveat to say. You know how how Russian is, is perceived the global art world in twenty twenty three again, totally different book. Um, but in twenty fourteen, I mean, I spoke a little bit about it. But you know that it, in general, it's it's sort of not respected. No one's that interested. In other words, there's not a market for it. People don't want to buy it. And does that mean it's good or bad? It means neither. It just means that's you know sort of the, the trends. It hasn't been sort of. Christian as like the hot kind of art at the moment. Um, and I think, you know, one of the arguments that I try to make is that because Russian art was lost its, or, you know, it lost its enemy. So the West is sympathetic to Russian art and is interested in Russian art when they have the same ideological en- enemies, right? So when you have these Soviet nonconformist artists who are making art underground Many of those artists also not political, but they're making art outside of the official channels. And so the West is interested in that art because, you know, ideologically, they're against socialism. So I'm making this argument that because in the post-Soviet period, suddenly it's a capitalist society, they no longer have this sort of ideological enemy that's the same socialism, and so suddenly the West is no longer interested. And so here you see the international interest in Russian, the post-Soviet sort of, it's, it wanes. There's, and which always struck me as odd because I would think, and I guess this is in part what interested me doing this book was, or the research was that if you're looking at a society that's transitioning this massive transition from socialism to capitalism, regardless of how that transition takes place, it's a very different way of organizing a society. And you would think that because of this you would have, it would create some kind of interesting art, right? It creates an interesting shift in, in personhood, in subsequent cultural production. And to me, it feels almost a bit like a missed opportunity in, in some senses. And perhaps it was because sort of institutionally art didn't have, you know, a lot of backing in, in, in Russia in the nineties, but I'm getting a little far afield here. My, my point being that I think the international art world from that period on just didn't care that much. And then what they did see, they they would say is like this is derivative, this is repetitive of things we've already seen. Um, and I you know, I think one of the and I, I end the book asking or start and end the book asking this question of comparison with China, because I heard this a lot in my research where people would tell me, Well, China did it right. The Chinese art market is really hot. In the international world, people want Chinese contemporary art. They can make political art. Like basically all these different reasons why Russian, you know, the the Russians that I talked to saw China as having done it quote unquote right and being successful. And why hadn't they? You know, and some people would offer Reasons, or you know, such as like, well, the state is promoting soft power in this way through in China, and that's why, right? Whereas in Russia, it doesn't happen that way. Um, or um, you know, they give their artists more support in these ways, and so I think, and also I think there's just something to be said for trends now. Where am in I interested in? Like, what's happening now? Like, are we going to see political art that's going to come out? Are we going to see the same sort of cycle, and then this interest from the West? That feels like, you know, a little opportunistic of saying, okay, now, because there's, you know, this war going on and people protesting, it's difficult to protest and it's, you know, a complicated situation. Now, are we going to see interest Coming from about Russian art, or is it going to be a complete disavowal of Russian art? I mean, it's an open question. I I don't actually know. (laughs) I don't have a sense of this of what's going on right now within the Russian art world. But I think the international attention, at least how it was framed to me, the international attention and the international response to Russian art almost always is tied to politics in some way. Whether or not it's that the art is political, but it's it's really that what's happening with Russia politically impacts how that art is then situated within the global art world coming from Russia. And I think that was sort of the the dominating frustration of people, of, you know, because they don't have control over that. And so then what do they do within that sort of bounded set? Like they don't get to self-define, right? So. <laughs> coming back to what I was talking about in the beginning, who's defining what legitimate art is? Well, it's not the Russians. And so these other definitions are being put on them in these, you know, sort of internationally that feel very frustrating.
2: Yeah, um, you noted at the beginning of our conversation already, you know, where, where, what we can say about current uh, art scene remains open um, and um, artists' responses that we see from Russia are quite quite mixed and and very you know, there's a difficulty to articulate in a way their position, um, at, at their own position at, as coming as artists who maybe oppose um, the current uh, situation and the conflict, but also are, are, are the the enemy right? Uh, so these complexities that are, are coming out of the the Russian current um, are, are seen as something that I think we're all very interested in in, in examining. But are there any other questions that came out of your research that, that um, continue to occupy you and make, maybe you can tell us also a little bit of what are you
3: working on at, at the moment? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think when I left, it was, I was, I mean, it was 2014, right after uh, Russia invaded Crimea the first time. And that was really felt. Um, and I will never forget one of the artists from the last Um, Soviet generation had said you know we came back to Russia in the 90s we stayed here it felt important to stay in Russia we could have left um and we felt really strongly and now this is the first time where it feels different like something is different and it doesn't feel like it's safe to be here anymore and I I thought about this you know (laughs) um last year and it really struck me of how right they were that this was really kind of a different moment but i think the other thing that seemed to be happening to me at that moment in 2014 sort of the shift it seemed really as though i mean the market was still struggling but the sort of excitement and the interest and the expansion of the art scene seemed to be growing i think This post-Soviet, this first post-Soviet generation, they're getting older, they're getting more experienced, they're institution building, but in a different way than in the 90s, and in a way that feels like any sort of cosmopolitan city, right? And I think, or, you know, I don't mean cosmopolitan, so Moscow is not cosmopolitan. (laughs) I just mean in terms of, like, it, it has institutions, it has, you know big contemporary art museum garage it has you know um contemporary its own sort of contemporary auction houses it has uh, a lot of different um new publications both in English and in Russian it just seemed to me sort of that there was a lot happening in sort of from 2014 up until last year that it seemed to be expanding in ways that I I feel were really exciting, and I felt like it was a, a very different than the period I looked at, and so that's why I, I think I even said in the book, I, I I hope someone's looking at that period too, up until um, recent events. But that you know, I think it was it was coming going to the next level in ways that that felt a lot more developed than when I was there, um, which I think is really exciting. Um, as to what I'm working on next, um, it, it's not quite formed. I'm sort of doing some preliminary stuff. Um, I'm trying to think about um, uh, the quote unquote world museum and how <laughs> the museum is structured in ways and, you know, you sort of have this isomorphism of museums where you see sort of the same structure and form of museums all over the world. But at the same time, how do they respond to sort of local pressures, um, local states, cultures? Um, so I'm not really sure what that looks like yet or how, where it's going to be. I did some preliminary research in uh, Brazil this summer. So, so we'll see. Um, but that's, I'm thinking still, it's still art, but I'm not quite sure what that's going to look like yet. But definitely still sort of art and institutions.
2: Wonderful. Well, um, good luck with that with re- that research. And I hope you'll be back on New Books um, Network podcast once uh, that's a bit further along. Uh, but I want to thank you very much for talking to us about um, Art in Transition today. Um, and I'd like to invite our listeners to... Um, have a bit more exploration uh, of your uh, and have a bit of a look in in your book with for lots of great examples and great quotes and insights into into um, formation of Russian art market um, since the uh, end of the Soviet Union. So Elise, thank you so much again for being with us today.
3: Thank you. It was a pleasure.